This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. It's the podcast where I sit down with an extraordinary person and share their story. They might have overcome something amazing or they might still be on their journey, but with stories that will make you laugh, cry and hopefully feel a little bit inspired. Today, two ladies with an approach to life and love, which they thrive on sharing with their 1.6 million YouTube subscribers. Rose Ellen Dix and Rosie Sporton are a married comedy and entertainment duo. Renowned for their relatable and honest conversations around LGBTQ issues, the incredibly honest and open pair release weekly videos on the platform and are the most successful same-sex couple on YouTube in the UK. In 2020, they launched their own podcast, Rose and Rosie Parental Guidance, which is following their very exciting pregnancy journey. And with Rosie carrying their first baby, they're expecting their new bundle of joy in a matter of weeks. As a same-sex couple, Rose and Rosie have found navigating their pregnancy journey all too difficult. And by sharing their story, they want to help make things easier for other couples who find themselves in the same situation. Wow. Well, how great are you two? <laughs> Welcome well, to the podcast. So complimentary. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah, what a pleasure it is to be here. <laughs> oh, well, there's so many things I want to ask you, but I think first, as a woman, I want to say thank you um, because you have been really honest, not just about the fun stuff, but about some of the really difficult stuff that doesn't have a big platform as well. So thank you for everything that you're doing for women. Um, oh, thank you so much. Well, you know, it's really important to us to, you know, be be that kind of voice, especially to our audience who are just so fantastic. And, you know, this journey, this pregnancy journey has certainly thrown us, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and like you said, Katie, you know, it's, it hasn't been as smooth as we thought it would be, you know? And I think um, a lot of the things that we've experienced, lots of other women or, you know, anyone carrying a child would, would have, you know, gone through. So it's really important for us, yeah, to, to, to highlight some of the, the, the downs as well as the ups along this, along this journey. <laughs> and I said in the intro there, it's a matter of weeks until you become parents. How are you... Because it's such a, being pregnant so long, like, honestly, <laughs> like, and, and parts of it are a bit like, come on, like, a bit, bit bored of this now. Um, and I just wondered, you know, how you feel changes throughout that time. How, how are you feeling at the moment? 100%. Yeah, I, I've got to the stage of, come on, uh, I'm a bit tired of this Are now. you over it, Rosie? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm over, over it. it. Which I think has to happen. I said, yeah. to, I was saying to Rose just yesterday, I was like, you know, I always thought that when women were pregnant, they'd just walk around like, constantly terrified of birth right I think you get so uncomfortable that you're like bring it on come on do you, you think know? that's a natural thing Rosie, yeah that like yeah but it, you just have to go through to be like right I can do this let's yeah do it. it hypes you up for it right okay cool <laughs> but can you imagine how elephants feel I think they're pregnant for like two years or something I yeah know, I know it's crazy I bet they're so over it <laughs> so much empathy for the elephant right now <laughs> same, same. 
<laughs> so let's take it back, right, how you guys met. So you met at Rosie's Halloween party when you were 17 years old, is that right? Oh my That's God, right. way back when I was much younger. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually gate crashed that party. I wasn't technically invited, um, but I thought, you know what? How fun would it be to turn up in a sheet with two eye sockets cut out of it? Original. Uh, it's yeah. so original, so so well thought out, so creative. And, um, and by doing so, I actually avoided paying on the door because fortunately there wasn't already a ghost in attendance. So I said, I've paid before. Um, so yeah, I sweeped on in there and um, and you had a boyfriend at the time. Yeah, I did. Ooh, yeah. drama. Um, and then we, how did we get together after that, Rosie? Uh, we both had partners after Yeah, that. so we both were with people for a while and then like we both happened to break up with our partners around the same time. Yeah. Um, and I was really worried you were going to get back with your ex. So I was like, oh my God, I've got to swoop in there and take on a date ASAP. So technically um, we're rebounds, aren't we? We're yes, each other's rebounds. But it but just worked out. Yeah, it can work out. Just lucky stuff. Just lucky. So where were you? Were you out with your sexuality or were you bisexual? What was your... Well, I was, I've always, well, so I've always been out. I've always been publicly out online. So I, and, and at the time when Rosie and I first sort of got together, I was out as a lesbian and you were out as bisexual. Mm -hmm. I'm bisexual, right. yeah. Yeah, but, but I um, was your first sort of serious. Real serious relationship. Same, same sex, sex relationship. relationship. Yeah. So I'd had like, uh, you know, relationships with men, but yeah, this was my first lesbian kind of experience. <laughs> and then... How's it going so We've far? Well, I've never good? left, so <laughs> it's obviously going quite well. Good, it's good, Stop good me. to know. Yeah. But um, being out online... Um, we never, this was, you know, a long time ago. So we started our um, like online journey in 2011. And, yeah. you know, times were different then. Uh, Same-sex marriage wasn't legal in the UK then. You know, it was just different. Really? Was it not? Yeah. No, no. no, it wasn't legal. And there was not a lot of representation, like on TV and stuff. Mm. Rose always mm. says that she had um, one uh, couple in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Classic, who were classic very show. Brief, and one of them died. Yeah. Was it. Like, there was no one, like, out, like... It just well, was yeah, different. It was different. It was different. And that's why it was kind of important to me anyway, to 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 be out online, but not make it like the focus of my YouTube channel. I just wanted yeah. it to be kind of like something on the side, you know, a facet of my personality, but I wasn't sort of... It's not the know, only thing about you. It's exactly. not the most exciting thing about you. Thank you. But, um, <laughs> it is, but it is a thing about you. But it was, yeah, and I, it was important for me to kind of just normalise being gay by doing mm. exactly that, just creating content that wasn't necessarily focusing on LGBT issues, but just being gay is just one of the things that came along with my channel so mm. I, I think that was quite attractive at the time to a lot of people like mm. not making it a huge fundamental thing and just 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 being gay <laughs> you know so that was that was kind of the intention really just to just to create fun content yeah otherwise it spoils the whole representation thing of it defining you and you being a really serious person and that's all you talk about you know right. it kind of spoils the whole intention doesn't it of normalizing sure. sure and also it wasn't the content I actually wanted to make I wanted to just have fun really and you know mm. YouTube started as a bit of a jovial hobby for me throughout university so I kind of wanted to make funny sort of slight improvisational comedy videos rather than just you know I'm gay <laughs> and that's all I am and also I think people don't want to be lectured like there's a time and a place obviously when you got kind of got to be an activist and and mm. use your voice for change but that's I don't think that's constants you know people yeah. come on to YouTube to have fun and I think it was nice uh, the feedback from our audience was like wow it's really nice just seeing two girls together and it's so normal and it makes me realize that I could have that someday yeah yeah I love it because it's so funny I have the same where 
any kind of tragic attack in the news or any kind of act of violence against women, mm. everyone's like, why aren't you commenting on this, Katie? Why aren't you doing a video about this? Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, I do in my private life care about that. But actually, it's stronger for me to also have a range of subjects because guess what? Burnt people also like clothes, lipstick, yes, swimming. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. exactly. It doesn't you define know. you. Exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. No, what what made you, as a couple, turn to YouTube? Like, was there something that wasn't on YouTube that you wanted to be there? I wondered the kind of drive mm. to collaborate together. Well, I well actually, I used YouTube as a pure and simple an excuse to see Rosie and date her. <laughs> I was like, well, Rosie, you know, we've got seven people watching our videos. We cannot let these people down. Uh, they are loyal and committed. And um, and it, we also started. It was very different back then. It wasn't really this kind of like competitive place to be YouTube famous. Yeah, it so wasn't I, like a career path no. like it is. Like being an online influencer, I think, is like some people's goal, which is obviously fine now. But that wasn't yeah. a thing. It was more like um, you know, like. Charlie bit my finger and music videos and, and kind cats. of random lots of cats. cats yeah lots of just kind of random compilations yeah um, but and, and things went viral in that manner but in mm. terms of sort of like online content uh, personalities they were few and far between there were some hugely famous ones and you know it was some just others. kicking off I think yeah but we just started it as a hobby we, we didn't we mm. we just thought it would just be fun I was doing film and screen media at university so it was very kind of much what I was doing anyway and, and one of my modules was you know can you create something that can go viral so we were all just having fun as students and then Rosie kind of came on board and that's how we that's how we sort of you know grew our relationship it really genuinely and organically manifested online and I think looking back that's probably why we did you know pretty well for the time because it was very authentic and people and real. Sort of, yeah, yeah it was it was almost like kind of big brother-esque um, in that <laughs> we would just turn the camera on and just chat very candidly yeah um you know we weren't restricting what we we're saying there wasn't anything like brand deals or being like I don't know like there was no censoring or, mm. and we naively didn't worry about what people would say yeah. so we didn't <laughs> think about trolls or anything like that we just sat down and filmed ourselves you didn't edit it much and you uploaded it and mm. I think it was that kind of fly on the wall uh, yeah. realness that, that I think people needed yeah and there was no pressure there was no pressure to mm. create certain content or have so many views we didn't look exactly. at these we didn't used to use tags or anything yeah. we didn't know what we're doing we, we still don't really know no <laughs> So innocent, so young, yeah. so fresh. <laughs> there's, there's quite a beautiful thing that you've done in that because you've been quite honest and transparent. You know, it's the ins and the outs of your life. You've kind of created this beautiful history and memory. And if I look back on my life, like I sort of think I document things that I never print pictures out and I haven't filmed all the best bits. Like I don't have a whole memory to sit down with my kids and look at. I mean, there's some really important things that you talk about and there's some really great things that actually your child is going to be really proud of you for doing, you know, um, oh. same-sex equality, female empowerment. Um, they're, and, they're, you know, I feel like they are at the forefront of conversation at the moment. Um, totally. Online and just in, in mainstream media as well, um, which I guess makes your sort of journey and your story, particularly of your pregnancy, more relevant now than ever. Um does it make you feel more in control and more empowered by sharing that story? Um, or are you more frustrated at the world because of you know more and you, like, you know, parts of your own experience have been very frustrating, demoralising, heartbreaking hmm. even? Do you know, I think it's, a, it's a, for me anyway, I can't speak on, on Rosie's behalf, but it's a real mixture of the two because um, on the one hand, I feel very empowered and it's actually quite therapeutic for me to talk about my experiences, you know, especially when I when I had a miscarriage and I felt so um, kind of underprepared and a little bit let down by the, the some, of, some of the medical professionals that I, that I saw, not all of them, some. And, you know, and not being prepared for something like that, um, 
you know, essentially did a little bit more harm than it did good. So mm. I feel like being able to to drive awareness to what it means to have a miscarriage and just and just raise attention and, and get rid of the stigma and the shame that surrounds it and also or, or, or the secrecy too. Yeah. Like a, a, around it, you know, this, this kind of like, oh, you know, shush, shush. I feel like that's been that's been a really positive outcome. Um, I, I feel really frustrated and I think it's an ongoing thing. Um, I think it started off when we were younger. I think there's an enormous lack of sex education education for queer people, for LGBT people. Mm. Uh, I think there's literally none because sex education was geared towards, I don't know, heterosexual yeah. sex and how, how how to not get pregnant, really. Yeah, certainly when we uh, were growing up. When anyway. we were growing yeah. up. And, Same. Um, yeah, and then, um, and then we stepped into, you know, the journey of trying to start a family as a same-sex couple. There was no information. I mean, I, I couldn't find a website that said, here's what you do. That uh, I asked my doctor, you know, um, we're looking at starting a family. Where do I go? My doctor was like, I don't know. Um, was super like, yeah, helpful. Yeah, my doctor didn't know. Um, and then I tried calling certain clinics and they were like, um, I was like, hey, do you do IUI, which is just artificial insemination? So um, this is when the sperm's inserted into the womb, is that right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's not okay. IVF, it's, uh, they just, it's, it's like... Uh, heterosexual sex, really. Yes, but, but less you romantic. have a nurse do it with a kind of kind <laughs> yeah. of like a turkey baster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, less romantic, yeah. yeah. Um, and Lasts like, about the same time, though. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, I was like, "Do you do that?" And the nurse kind of was like, "You don't know if you need it." And I was like, "No, we oh, I, I need, I need it." Yeah, because yeah. there's no other way. Like, yeah, it was that assumption yeah. that we had, you know, fertility issues rather yeah. than we could just be a same-sex yeah. couple. And I just right. feel like around everything. So we found that we didn't know how to have a baby. We had to really work for it. You know, and like every different clinic and sperm bank has different rules and regulations, and they tell you different things. And oh. then I feel like, and then Rose tragically experienced her miscarriage. She found that no one, no one was giving us upfront information when when the nurses were talking to Rose. They were whispering they were whispering yeah, have you had a miscarriage like, before you why are you whispering you're a nurse this is you know a medical um, yeah. thing that, mm. that's happening there shouldn't be it shame around it and and now I think you know I've talked to Rose I don't know what's going to happen with menopause either like why do we have to keep I'll do a podcast on that you know <laughs> you have to whisper when you get your HRT yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. we've got no idea and I just think um, for around like women's sexual health and women being empowered in in their knowledge about pregnancy and their own bodies I think there's not enough like information out there and it's it's yeah. ridiculous why not what why yeah. is it that we you know there are these women having these treatments and they don't you know know what to do or know exactly what yeah. the procedure is yeah, yeah. I mean oh. knowledge is power at the end of the day and I yeah. certainly would have been a lot better off if I had just known exactly what was going to happen you know <laughs> And this miscarriage, it happened to you in lockdown, is that right? Mm. It did, yes. Yeah. So unfortunately, um, it was the peak of the first wave of, um, of COVID. And I had to, the, at one stage, I had to go to hospital just because of the the, the blood loss. And um, I had to go in on my own, which, you know, it makes you kind of braver a little bit doing these horrible things alone. But at the same time, you know, it would have been really helpful if I could have had Rosie there or if I could have seen my mum afterwards, you know. I so think it was the weeks and weeks afterwards, well, the months afterwards when you couldn't see your family. So we dealt yeah. with that in in isolation yeah. um, and, because, you know, and not knowing what you were going to go through as well at well, home yeah you've got the yeah you've got the physical trauma and you know mm. and then if, of course you've got the grief and you know and, and the emotional side of it so it was it was a lot to handle and it was it was certainly probably the the most difficult time that we've we've had together mm -hmm. um but you know but at the same time I'm just so thrilled that you know Rosie's pregnant now and you know we're trying to sort of see the positives in, in the entire journey and if we can you know make anybody's life slightly better who has experienced loss then that's a that's surely a positive thing mm -hmm.
Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Yeah, and just that kind of platform and that resource of, like, for you, because it wasn't a conventional way to get pregnant, then sure. kind of accessing the information initially was difficult as it was. So, yeah. you know, therefore, afterwards, you're going to struggle. It's it's so interesting because there was a time in my life a long time ago um, when I decided I didn't want to have um, a relationship with a man probably ever again, but I didn't identify as a lesbian mm. Um but I definitely wasn't attracted to men. So like I had um, no sexual feelings towards any men, no physical attraction. And I don't just mean like a couple of weeks, couple of months. I mean like a good few years. Um, but I still had like maternal instinct where I wanted to start a family. So I looked into like very early stages of adoption, sperm donation, like you know, carrying yeah. my own child for sperm donation. And when I tried to talk to other people about it, they were like, no, you're fucking crazy. Oh. Like, no, you, and like, there was oh. anyone I tried to speak to about it was just like, oh, you've got mental health problems, oh. or like, what? That's a terrible response. Yeah. Why and, on earth would they jump to mental health problems? And it was just like a really, and to try and discuss it with somebody who was professional, I just like couldn't further that. I couldn't find that person. Like, I didn't, like you said, is it the GP? Yeah. Is it a therapist? Yeah. Like, Right. Who really is it? I don't really know. Yeah. And I never progressed right. that conversation. Um, and I kind of stayed like that for a long time in my life. Um, right. And then I sort of dated, but it didn't really work very well. And then it was probably a long time later, like I'm talking 10, I don't know, eight, nine years later, then I did meet mm. my husband. And now right. we're stuck together because we've got two kids. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I even think now if anything ever happened between us and it didn't work out, I wouldn't necessarily go and seek another relationship with a guy because I have children and I'm really right. like independent person, happy on my own. And I get that. My whole journey of doing that as like a heterosexual woman is it made me realise there's such a lack of information out there. And I just wondered, you know, as same-sex parents wanting a baby, you know, what advice would you give to anyone else who's listening to this podcast who might identify how I did or are on the journey that you guys are on, but at the very beginning, you know, it's not accessible how can they begin that journey? Oh, God, it's a really good question. It was mm -hmm. really difficult for us too. I mean, at the beginning, we we had no idea where to start. Um, but if I was to give any advice, <laughs> it can get overwhelming sometimes, mm. especially when you receive such um, contradictory information. <laughs> I mean, that that's tough. And also when it comes to kind of like, well, for us as same-sex uh, wannabe parents, when it comes to um, going down the sperm donation uh, route and the clinics and the inseminations, that was quite a struggle to understand that process. Mm. And, uh, and one thing I will say is you know it does vary sometimes um depending on your postcode <laughs> so yes. this is all very technical wow. but it, it's true isn't it yeah i know um so i guess that's nhs options and stuff like that varies what what i would recommend is to go to to, to research uh local fertility clinics it's yes. the first thing i would do because they should have if they're a good clinic their own counselors their own therapists people they like to do sometimes like kind of marriage therapy before before some say sex couples um uh get inseminated and it's not just 
just for same-sex couples. Right. Anyone can go. It's open for anyone. And they do open days. Um, and that kind of explains and kind of gets you started on your journey. So that that's yeah. definitely something I would recommend. And then, you know, even if you're not sure, you could just go and see, okay, what are the processes? What are the options? And maybe I do I want to speak to a, a specialist, a kind of a therapist to talk about this journey? Yeah, I mean, that's what Rosie and I did. We actually went to a very LGBTQ plus friendly clinic down in Brighton called the Agora. Mm. And they, uh, they did like an open evening for same-sex parents and single women to kind of explain how this process works. And uh, that was really useful for us because we didn't even know that the sperm bank was a separate entity to the clinics where you get inseminated. And I know that might sound really stupid, but I thought it was all just one big place. Some clinics <laughs> won't work with some sperm banks. It's really? so yeah. crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you've it's got politics. other added complications. Things like Rosie and I were so set on this sperm donor. We're like, oh my God, he's perfect. This is great. And then we we're like, right, purchase some sperm. And then it said, oh, this person isn't UK eligible, which meant which meant that we couldn't have that treatment in the UK legally. with that sperm legally. We would have had to have gone abroad. Why is that? So then? there's... Honestly, I honestly don't know. I, I know why. It's because in the UK, so they've changed the law uh, that um, you have to use a non-anonymous sperm donor. So that's the law, uh, which is really interesting because they haven't um, yet, like, since they've changed the law, none of the children have grown up to be 16. To so it means that it means that your child, when it's sixteen, is is allowed to say, "Hey, I want to get to know my sperm donor," and they're non-anonymous. So oh, the sperm donor can be like, "Hey, yeah. right." And um, but they're not grown up yet, these children, so they haven't like kind of. They don't know how how it's going to go. In other countries, you don't have to do that. So you can either... So in England, you have to use a UK-eligible sperm donor or you can use a non-UK-eligible sperm donor, but you have to go abroad, somewhere else, where it's it's legal. Mm. So that's another thing as well. And then different countries have different stigmas, like some don't like single women using Uh sperm donors, which is terrible. Some countries... It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But having said all of that, there is something positive at the end of the road because um, we, we we found a way to do it, didn't we? We yeah. found a way. So first and there is a first, way. find your sperm bank, find your clinic, make sure those two talk to each other and then you're pretty much set. <laughs> yeah. It's easy as that. Yeah. <laughs> Only took us a year to figure it out. So you've been particular about the sperm. What about documenting it? Because obviously, you know, you have, like your following is very loyal um, and, you know, mm-hmm. they get involved in parts of your relationship that some people mm. would never dream of letting people into. Mm. Um, um, right. <laughs> which, I, which actually I wondered, are you now just super relaxed about that? Do you just go with the yeah. flow or are there still parts of your life that you wouldn't let your followers into? What, where, Where's the boundary of that? That's a do really interesting question. Yeah. Uh, so our audience do ask us very personal questions and we do just answer it. Like, for example, <laughs> loads of people are asking us about our sex life during pregnancy. That seemed yeah. to be something yeah. they really wanted to know. Yeah. We're like, okay, look, you're all asking. So we'll, so we'll talk decide. about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Uh, I think Rose and I are just natural oversharers and we find it very difficult to hold back. But you Saying know what, that, I think... I, yeah, go, go on, sorry, go I was, on. Well, I was going to say, but we're finding it difficult to know the right thing to do with the baby when the baby comes along because I think lots of people have very strong opinions about putting your child online. Yeah. Uh, some people think it's really exploitative when, like, influencers put their children online. Um, mm. But on the other hand, we've been being this open um, queer couple for people, you know, trying to be representation. Mm-hmm. And we've shown them this difficult journey we've gone through, the right. ups and the downs, the losses, and then finally getting pregnant. Yeah. And it also seems a bit, I don't know, weird to yeah. not well, Almost counterproductive. Yeah. <laughs> how is that helping? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was my next question. I wondered, like, how much will you or won't you document? Like, will you film the birth? Like... 
you know what because like you said it, it you're you're being honest all the time online and this is part of your life so so almost to not feels like you're depriving the audience of something in that sense mm-hmm. like exactly and it feels like the next natural chapter too because we've only ever just <laughs> Being ourselves online so anything that's happened in our lives we've just documented it because that's that's what our content is just our lives and mm-hmm. our relationship really so yeah for now I feel like it would be a bit of a kick in the teeth to be like sorry you can't see this yeah. you know this is my boundary it doesn't make much sense to me but having said that I, I haven't my protective mummy instincts haven't kicked in yet yeah, because we the baby hasn't been born yeah. so you never know how you're going to feel do you mm. it, it, and, it, and it, the internet's a scary place and you can't control what other people say or do I know in reaction to the content you put online that's not something and we're, we we're very lucky too. We we rarely get any kind of negative, um, you know, comments or any backlash or anything like that. We, we're very fortunate with our audience. But if anyone said anything about my child, <laughs> you know, it's a different ball game, isn't it? So you just don't know how you're going to feel. But, but when I look online and in TV and the media, I like I can't name many or any celebrity couples, same-sex couples with a child, like lesbian couples. No. I know some famous gay men with a child. Yeah, that's child, true, but actually. Like, there are, like, none. And I and there, there needs to be some out there, you know? Mm. You've got all these reality TV shows and all these people in the media, and where are the, you know, where's where the representation? Where are the lesbians Yeah, and it's true. <laughs> there is zero representation of two women. Yeah, there, are, there isn't. Mm, I can't yeah. actually think of any at all. Um, no, there you go. I love, I mean, the thing I love about you both is you've got really good energy. Like you're really, oh. I hate the word bubbly. It's such a patronising word, but you're, you're so bubbly. Um, I'm the bubbly one. Yeah, that you're just like, it, it's yeah. quite infectious when somebody is so happy. And I think, you know, happiness genuinely does come from being yourself and being free and yeah. not having to conform. Mm-hmm. And I wondered... Um, cue like the the dark music like were you always this happy and free like was it a difficult mm. teen years growing up was the struggle with sexuality what about your family you know you're sort of a little bit younger than me but growing up in the 80s and 90s isn't the same yeah. as growing up now and and being no, sure. so free and, and uh, as accepting as now what was what was that past like well, I, I didn't have an, well, I didn't have a terrible time being gay, but I didn't have necessarily the easiest time. I mean, internally, I was actually fine with it. I didn't actually have, have too much of a, of a clash with myself, you know. Uh, coming you, out was, you got You got diagnosed with OCD, though, yes. as a teenager, and that was different back then. Yeah. Like you said, like, it, it's so woke now, and it's, it, it's amazing. Like, obviously, there's always work to do, but now it's so amazing how people talk about mental health, how women yeah. are empowering women, body positivity, all these yeah. great things. Yeah. Um, but then not so much as you, yeah. as you know, Katie. Mm. I think you're right. And I think I think being diagnosed with OCD was, for me anyway, in my experience, a, a lot more difficult, a, a bigger hurdle than coming out as gay. Mm-hmm. Because for me, that was um, much more... Uh, well, restricting how I was living my life mm-hmm. and, and and restricting how I was kind of like feeling about myself too. You know, I didn't feel good about myself. And that was just pure OCD rather than it was about being gay. Um, they didn't help. It didn't help that I had this, well, in my mind, in quotes, a secret about myself either. Um, but coming out, I mean, I was, I was lucky. I had, I had, it took my parents slightly longer to kind of get on board mm. with but you know I had patience for that because it's not it's not easy to just you know you know drop a bomb like that and just be like oh you know don't you still love me <laughs> you know people need to have a bit of time too so I respected that um but no I didn't I didn't have too too much of an issue what was it like being bisexual that's that, <laughs> because that I feel though that that has a lot more stigma around it, definitely it. Did, especially yeah. back then because people thought you know you're over sexual you just like to have sex with both at the same time mm. anybody who's anyone mm. and breaking down that by 
biphobia, even now, is still tricky. Yeah, mm. there wasn't all the sex positivity that there is now, which I'm really grateful for. Mm. But um, yeah, so I was uh, I was always out. Like, I just couldn't hide it about myself. Uh, I'm, I'm a very open person. But yeah, I think throughout school, um, I got labelled as promiscuous. People, you know, I had a reputation, which I didn't deserve. I had like one long-term boyfriend all through school. <laughs> but people were really, really quite cruel. But so what, and even then, if you didn't, you know, like, why? why yeah, exactly. Why, exactly. Even if I was... Yeah, exactly. even if I was just, yeah, even if I didn't, exactly, even if I had 100 boyfriends, like, so what? That's my my body, yeah. my choice, right? Um, and, and you know, the men at school weren't getting the same stigma, you know, no. they, you know if they behaved like that. Um, and so that was difficult. And then, and then growing up, uh, I was a victim of sexual assault as well. And so that was, um, yeah, so I, I that, that was quite hard. And yeah. then I feel like actually um, I kind of just was very tough and kind of just lived life. And then actually it was only when I was in my relationship with Rose and we were quite happy that actually I kind of broke down and actually had to have some therapy. And yeah. then I finally got, then I sorted myself out. I kind of held it all in and just got through life. And I, then, I feel like then it all broke down. Yeah, I feel like everybody goes through life though. And there's always going to be one or two points in your life where mm. you think, I've just got to have a breakdown. Yeah. I've got to have a kitchen floor reset. Yeah. And uh, life isn't easy. No, it's not. Things and happen. Exactly. It's just a way of processing. Did it, you, yeah. with the OCD, you know, a lot of misunderstanding around OCD of like, oh, you just love to tidy up. And actually, oh, it doesn't that. always present itself through organization anyway. There's loads of types of OCD, you know, and it's not. Exactly. You know, and unfortunately, I suffer from the pure O aspect right. of OCD, which isn't actually obsessed. Well, it, it's kind of ritualistic thinking, but it's more the <laughs> the slightly more taboo mm -hmm. version of OCD, that the less cute version where you're not always tidying, you're not germphobic, mm -hmm. you're just having intrusive thoughts that are so far from what you want in your head. Mm -hmm. But because mm -hmm. you fear them so much, they become so prevalent and, and, and so powerful. And it makes you really kind of analyse your your moral compass and, and really, it's, it's, it's awful and it's really difficult to, to 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 work through and I don't think many people talk about it mm, because people no. don't want to hear Stigma. it that people it's don't want to hear it to you know about, yeah. it, it, it's difficult to talk about because it's so heavy yeah I'm not by the way we're not saying that cleaning OCD is any easier oh, but no. it is yeah. easier to maybe to talk about Potentially. Well, yeah. again, though, so there's stigma around that too. Though, lots of people are quite, you know, embarrassed and ashamed mm. of their cleaning rituals. And, I mean, for me, my pure OCD has actually manifested into cleaning. So yeah. for me, actually, I, 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 I'm, I'm thankful for it, even though I still suffer with OCD. I'm glad I'm not suffering in that capacity mm. anymore. But again, I just wish people would um, would talk about it slightly more than they are. And uh, yeah, and just it's scary to talk about things online though, because you know you get an overwhelming response and that can be negative or positive and it is it is scary yeah, yeah it's it's daunting i mean you've talked both there quite frankly about you know mental health struggles sexual assault do you think um comedy has been a, a really good not a buffer or a barrier but i suppose just a a good sort of middleman between you and that and actually a great way to communicate and a great therapy as well you know comedy can be a good mask not a negative mask I, absolutely 100% uh, I think um, you know you've got to have the good with the bad and um, I don't think comedy is like masking it I think we are real about things we've gone through but yeah. uh, um, it's just a different approach to yeah. it but you know? you know how we how we live our life is we're very very lucky and privileged but we can pick up a camera and we can film our life and we can have fun and that's absolutely incredible and honestly yeah it's totally got it, us through it certainly alleviates <laughs> you 
know, everything, yeah. the harder stuff that we, we as people go through. 100%. Definitely. And I just also, that's why we did the channel, wasn't it? To, to, to bring even just 10 minutes of slightly uplifting comedy, even if it touches on really serious stuff, you know, just to mm. view things slightly differently. Yeah. Uh, that's what we wanted to do. Yeah. So hopefully we've done it. Do you know what, though? It's so interesting what you said there about, you know, being privileged, you can just pick up a camera. And actually, I said to you guys before we started recording, I have a newfound respect for YouTubers and content creators. Because in this lockdown, you know, a lot of my work has gone online. I've never had to create so much content. And often when people hear about people being successful on YouTube, they say, oh God, I, well, I'd love to do that, but I'm too busy doing real work. And oh, I might, yeah. I might start doing that on Monday. And 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 yeah. now I'm just like, oh my God, it's such a difficult job. Um, you have to have so many tech skills as well. You have to be, you know, if you're really pissed off that day, and you, but you've got to create content, it's, it's also like, just it just takes every part of your mind, body, and soul. Right, and then if right. you are successful, that's quite a big noose around your neck to carry on and progress and yeah, to keep totally. that standard. And I'm just like, you know, I can see why when the rewards do come in, you know, they're they're great. But it, a lot a, a lot of sure. legwork goes into that. It's not just picking up a camera at all. I know. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because there is this huge <laughs> stigma around like, oh, yeah, you just make a 10-minute video and that's it. And, you know, I think a lot of w women and other people in the media have been criticised. Like Zoe Sugg, I had a lot of uh, flack when people were like, oh, you're a millionaire and you don't do anything. She's and, probably one of the most hardworking yeah. people you'll ever, so ever know. Yeah, it's so, so intelligent. Unfair. A businesswoman. Really yeah. smart. Yeah, of exactly. Course, and self-made as well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's been, you know, we are our own. We don't have a spin doctor or a PR team or like, you know, anyone helping us navigate any tricky situations or anything. We we are just being ourselves online, which is a vulnerable position to be in. And you're right, we've done it we've done it for 10 years. And so, you know, on YouTube you have your back end, how many people watch this video, you know, and we're still growing our audience. Mm. And it's we're we're thankful and it's amazing and we are privileged for our position. But it is that is a lot of pressure to keep keep it going. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it, can, it can be quite draining. Crazy. Yeah, it can, it can be quite draining. Every day, you know, to pick up the camera and what am I, and constantly create content. So we're the creative director. So yeah. we're like, what, what, what's entertaining and funny and people haven't heard before and they still want to see it. And I'm, maybe an, I'm in lockdown and maybe yeah. my mental health's not so great. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, yeah. are we, are we making content that we love yeah. and we're not just adhering to what yeah. everybody wants to see, mm -hmm. you know? So it's a, it's a really hard balance. Honestly, mm -hmm. in any other career, you would never wear that many hats. Like you said, you know, talent, mm -hmm. director, producer, editor you know tea maker it's just yeah so obviously we know you've got this gorgeous future in front of you you're about about to give birth what else does the future hold for you your hopes your dreams your ambitions like what is next goodness me that's a really, really interesting one because question. I think right now we've been so focused on a family that we've not really been thinking too much about career for the first time in our life and we're really enjoying it you know yeah. we've been doing this for 10 years and we're like excited for our priority to be our family and us so yeah. that's really nice um so I'm excited for our relationship and us but um we've got some career goals that we'd you know we, <laughs> we'd like to achieve I think Rose has a book in her I do I would love to I would love to write kind of like a really satirical book about parenting where yes. I literally <laughs> where I almost kind of troll 
everyone and say yeah. this is exactly what you should do knowing it's not what you should do I just think I've, I've met so many <laughs> mothers that have been so condescending yeah. <laughs> about this process like oh well you think you're not sleeping now just you wait and I'm like okay how is that helpful it's not helpful it's very negative yeah I just think oh don't come at me with that so I I, I definitely think there's definitely a, a sort of parody book yeah. about parenting in, in me that somewhere cool. but we'll just have to see yeah oh, I would buy that I would read that do you know what it's been so lovely talking to you and like obviously we've never met in real life this is all on zoom and I already feel like attached like a proud auntie and need need oh, I just like want the baby to come now sorry well Katie like we love you so much and I, I remember you know watching the documentary about you when it came out years and years ago you know and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of what you do and for women and how empowering you are and I think you're fantastic oh, so. thank you mutual <laughs> appreciation here oh, <laughs> and thank you so much for having us on oh, the podcast. it's a pleasure yeah. and like the title says you have both been extraordinary so thank you so much thank you thanks for listening to katie piper's extraordinary people if you haven't already please follow where you get your podcasts also if you enjoyed this please help us spread the word rate and review the show or share on your socials